So before we, um, before we get too far this morning, I'm going to ask you a question. So when you, when you travel, uh, when you book a flight on an airplane, um, and you had a, if you have a choice of seats on that airplane, which seat do you choose? I, I'm gonna like. I have to adjust because there's so many people on this, uh, on, uh, you know, in this area now. There's, yeah, it's like, yeah. Anyway, um, so which which seat do you choose? Okay, so by show of hands, how many of you would say it's God's will for you to sit uh, at the window seat? Window seat people, window seat. Yeah. Okay. I'm there. I'm with you. Yeah. Okay. So how about aisle? How about people who are like, no, I need to be on the aisle because I need to be able to bounce out if I got to go to the bathroom or, you know, some more elbow room, leg room. Okay. Yeah. Until the cart, until the drink cart comes by and smacks your knee while you're trying to sleep. Right. I hate that. Um, Okay. Anybody middle seat, anybody purposefully choose the middle seat in here? Oh, thank you for being honest, because the middle seat is like a precursor to hell, right? I mean, that's, that's the whole reason why they, they have that. It's, <laughs> hey, wait, wait, well, well, we'll get to that part of the message later. We're talking about selfless, right? Um, so, no, it's like a precursor to hell, because I do think that hell will be very much like being in a middle seat stuck next to two of the most annoying people in the whole world, on a flight that never lands. It just keeps going. Yeah, that's, um, that's probably what hell's going to be like. Um, but I, I just wanted to establish uh, that as we, as we move forward today, because if you're new with us, we did start a couple of weeks ago this series called Selfless. And we were talking about how we live in this very selfish, self-centered culture. Uh, and in week one, we discussed one of the ways in which we focus less upon ourselves and, and really focus more upon the Lord is, first of all, by recognizing that what he's done for us is something that we are meant to share with others. So how do we be, how do we be more intentional and bolder about sharing our story and our faith with other people, what God has done in our life? So we talked about that, and then this last week, we talked about being faithful in service, that serving isn't just something, it's not just a task that we do. Serving is who we are. It's who we are meant to be, who we're designed and created to be at our core. That's who Christ was. He was the ultimate servant, and, that, and that's who God has called us to be. Next week, we'll wrap up our series, and we're going to do um, some special stuff just kind of uh, as a, a precursor to launch um, next week, so you won't want to miss that. It's going to be a really good service together, but we're going to talk about being grateful in the grind. How, how do I glorify God in just the everyday, ordinary, mundane parts of my life? How do I give God glory in that? But today, I want to talk about overcoming our selfish attitudes and becoming extravagant through our generosity. Extravagant in generosity. So you're like, so I, I chose this Sunday to be here. This is Sunday where we talk about giving. And that, and you're like, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a roll of the dice. You don't know what you're going to get. You came on that Sunday, so um, congratulations. But no, it's gonna, we're, we're going to have a really good time together in the Word. And I, um, I did a little bit of research into this subject of uh, selfishness. And I came across an article entitled, 
Science shows us that we are selfish. Like we really needed science's help to tell us what we already know, right? Do we need science to tell us that we're selfish? All you need to know uh, on that is, all you have to do is observe the behavior of a two-year-old child, right? Like if you have a toddler, you know that you don't, you don't sit down and give that toddler lessons on being selfish. You know, you don't be like, uh, okay, let's go to the mall, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a toy, and then I'm going to take that toy away from you, and when I do, I want you to scream at the top of your lungs, mine! We don't do that. We don't, there's no need to do that. It's just inherent, and, and, and that's really kind of, when we look around in our culture, we just, we know inherently we are selfish people, and... Um, According to this article, um, there's some bad news for men in this, and, uh, and that is that men, this is according to the article, but I'm just sharing with you information, okay? <laughs> take, take it for what you want. Men are generally more selfish than women, okay? What? Sorry, guys. To which, again, I think there's women in here that are probably like, I don't need science, nor do I need you to tell me. <laughs> What I already know, I'm really pretty well aware of that. So, um, it, so the way this study is, is that it, it, it basically says that the male neural reward system is more stimulated by self-centeredness, whereas women, on the other hand, they get more of a dopamine rush when they reach out to help somebody else around them. So why is this? Well, there's a lot of different theories about why this is, and, and a lot of people argue the fact that, well, men, men are more wired towards survival, right? So the men, they're going to go out from the cave, they're going to kill something, they're going to drag it back, and, you know, so we can survive, right? That's the, like, that's like the whole idea, you know, there, and that women are more wired to be nurturing, and so, which nurturing you know, especially in this context, is also survival because they say that women are more stimulated by the idea of helping other people around them to survive, right? Whereas a man would just be like, it's self-survival. Like, if I make it through, <laughs> then I win. Um, you know, right? Uh, and again, I'm just sharing information. This, this just, just, just sharing information. So, um, but here's... Here's where the information gets worse for, well, let me ask this question. Shoot. See, now nobody's going to want to raise their hand on this. But uh, guys, how many of you enjoy, like, working out, going to the gym, working out? And there's a few. Yeah. So this is where the information gets kind of worse for guys. So, again, according to this article, bigger muscles lead to a smaller heart. On average... Muscle guys, why, 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 I mean, where's my source? Hey, it's the internet. You believe everything you read off the internet, right? So, um, all right, so bigger muscles lead to smaller hearts. So on average, muscle guys are less generous than guys who drive by the gym and head straight to the pizza restaurant. To which, if this is true, I'm going to tell you right now, I have a ginormous heart. Like big, ginormous heart. Not stomach, 
just heart. I have a big heart. Just saying, some of you might also have a big heart. Um, but let's go back to the airplane, okay? So for those of you that prefer, for those of you that prefer the window seat, as do I, you, uh, window seat people are known to be much more selfish than those who choose the other seats around them, all right? And why am I covering all this? Why is this even important? And that is because, who, it, you know, in this group, I'm, I'm concerned for the single women in our group this morning, all right? If you're a single lady, all right, I'm giving you this information to equip you, and I'm not going to do that dance. Don't, don't do that, um, all the single ladies. Um, but... <laughs> All the single ladies, you need to understand that when you're looking to choose a man, you might not want to choose one who works out all the time and chooses the window seat, all right? So I'm just giving you some, I'm equipping you with tools to help you, um, yeah. So, no, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't, I, I, you raised your hand for working out. I couldn't remember if you liked the window seat or not, Manuel, but... Uh, Anyway, all right, so now, really quickly, though, ladies, if you are feeling really good about yourself, let me just tell you um, that men aren't the only ones that are selfish. When it comes to chocolate, all right, when it comes to chocolate, it's every person for themselves, all right? This, some studies show that uh, when, a, when a woman is with her best friend, so this isn't like just some acquaintance of them, but... It, if a woman is with their best friend, somebody who they know, and they have a choice between the bigger piece of chocolate cake or the smaller, they're going to hose their friend every single time. They're going for the bigger piece of chocolate cake, all right? I don't know if that resonates with you or not. What was that? Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, right. So here's the thing. Our culture is very selfish. And what does the culture tell us? It tells us to indulge ourselves, to get whatever we can get, to get what's yours. And yet Jesus, he taught and he demonstrated through his life a very different type of message. He said, hey, if you want to be a disciple of mine, if you want to follow me, then you don't indulge yourself. You start by denying yourself. If you want to follow me, Jesus said, it isn't about getting more of what you want. It starts with self-denial. You deny yourself, you pick up your cross, and then you follow me. Rather than being selfish in all we do, I believe that God is calling us to a life of extravagant generosity. And for a key verse for us today, we're going to look at the book of Proverbs, chapter 21, verses 25 and 26. So in Proverbs chapter 21, here's what it says. Despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin, for their hands refuse to work. Some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. The godly love to give. So when Solomon was talking about lazy and selfish people here, he says that the lazy are always greedy. They want more and more and more, but the godly, they love to give, and they give holding nothing back. And I love the imagery here, because even though in our culture today, we, uh, we know that it's natural to be selfish, 
to say, to crave more and more and more. There is another person. There is the person who is the follower of Christ, the, the godly person who says, I love to give, and that person gives out of a heart holding nothing back, which is demonstrative of the heart that God has for us. That's the love that God the Father has for you and for me. That love has been described in Scripture as, as, as he has lavished his love upon us. And when you think about that word lavished, that's like um, it's, it's extravagant. It's almost wasteful in, in, in your thought when you think about lavishing something. Um, you, th- you get the imagery of the woman who breaks the perfume at the feet of Jesus, where she takes that which is most precious to her, that which is you know, her most expensive and prized possession, and she breaks it open and it just pours out onto his feet and onto the ground. That's how much God loves you. That's how much he loves his children. He has lavished his love upon us, holding nothing back. <clears throat> and in the Old Testament... God had set up a very specific set of rules regarding our giving, all right? Um, When it came to showing devotion, dedication, and love for God, a lot of that was done through this system of sacrifice, all right? And and in Leviticus addresses uh, a lot of these types of offerings in detail. There's There's a whole list of them. There's burnt offerings, there's meal offerings, there's sin offerings, there's peace offerings, and the list goes on and on. And when Jesus became our perfect sacrifice, when he died upon the cross, that system was forever changed. So as we look into the New Testament and we study the whole aspect of giving, We no longer find rules about two-year-old rams or grain cakes made with oil, but instead we see a teaching that focuses more upon the heart. Now it, it, it centers around the heart, like in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, it says, He answered, You shall love the Lord, our Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Second Corinthians tells us that, God loves a cheerful giver, and we're not to give under compulsion. So this is like a huge difference from the Old Testament, from a a, a list of of do's and don'ts, to suddenly this, this thing that focuses around where is your heart? Because giving as an action is all tied back to our heart. God's desire for us to give isn't centered around the fact that he needs what we have. That's really important for us to understand. We don't serve a God in need, right? We don't. He is abundant. He doesn't need the things that we have. Our giving is a response to what he has given to us. It's an awareness of his love for us. The blessings have been poured into our lives, and it's a response to that. So it centers, and it all ties around our heart. In uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we read this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
This is your true and proper worship. So now, instead of performing these lists of sacrifices, we now are called to become the sacrifice, to lay our very lives down on the altar. And God says, that's your worship. See, we're, we're oftentimes confused in our culture, especially within the church, in that, that we believe worship to be that time in the service where we sing songs, where worship is purely the response that we give to God, period. We all worship. In fact, we, we, we all worship something, and we, we worship those things uh, almost unknowingly through day-to-day throughout our weeks. Worship is what we are giving our focus and the bulk of our attention and energy to. And Jesus says, your act of worship is to lay down your life for me. So throughout the Bible, especially the Old Testament, God battles against this thing of idols, right? Idols were something that constantly with God's people, especially in the Old Testament, we read that there was a struggle in that because idols are the thing that were constantly pulling people's attention and love away from God. And for us in our culture and context, money is that idol. Money is that thing. Money receives our trust and devotion, just like the Old Testament idols did. We put our hope in money, uh, and, and, and you can see this in, in the way that we talk about things like the stock market, where we talk about, when we talk about the stock market, we use words like confidence, like how confident am I in the market? And confidence is another word for trust. When an idol becomes our chief security, then we begin to forget about the grace and the love and the mercy of God. Jesus said it in this way in Matthew chapter 24, or 6, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Here's what it says. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We cannot serve two masters. So right here, Jesus calls out his chief competitor, his chief competitor, money. And he says, you know, we cannot serve two masters in this. And we're all guilty of this because here's where, here's where we're all saying. We are all guilty in giving too much attention to this subject of money because we either feel like we are entitled to more of it, you know, we want more than what we have, we're not satisfied with where we are, so I want more, or we're afraid, we're fearful that we're going to lose what we have, you know, or fearful that we don't have enough. That is also control. Fear is a huge controller. Fear is a big distraction. So we are all guilty of, of giving money the attention that it doesn't deserve. And yet, Scripture is clear, we cannot serve two masters. God only needs to look at our spending, our giving, or our savings to know the condition of our heart. Because we are all familiar with this phrase that money talks, right? So if that's true, and if your money were to speak about you, 
what kind of story would it tell? Would it, would it tell one that is of confidence in a God that has provided, that has been the same yesterday, today, and will be forever, the God that provides on a daily basis? Or would it speak a different story? Our money is our best character witness because our money knows what we truly want and who we truly serve. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son for our salvation. Giving is at the very core of God. Again, all these different things these, uh, the, uh, that we've been talking about, like last week we said that Jesus didn't just serve, he was a servant. God, when we talk about giving, it's at the core of who he is. We almost, we cannot separate the two. We can't think of one without the other. God's love is so intertwined in its giving. Following Jesus will bring us to places that oftentimes are, are uncomfortable for us, will take us and challenge us to take steps, especially in this area of like giving of our lives that maybe we've never experienced before. So um, I asked, uh, you know, when we think about our giving, I, I asked for um, Tammy to, to do me a favor because I, I knew that these weren't going to be, couldn't get fries before a certain hour in the morning unless you know somebody. So Tammy's the one you need to know. So um, I got to take these out of here. Holy cow. So, um, man, when you keep the bag closed, man, the, the, the box, like, the box is, like, melted. It's, like, anyway. Um, so, uh, McDonald's fries, I, I, and we're not going to, like, go around and do a survey in here because, really, right now, it just matters what I think. But I think McDonald's fries are, like, the best fries, right? But, um, but they have a window of time that they're good, Right? And you get outside that window, and then they turn into a whole different substance <laughs> on their own. I mean, it, I, don't, I don't know what to... And if you try to reheat them, they get angry. And um, <laughs> it's just not good. But, um, you know, when I was thinking about giving, I was thinking about the fact that, okay, so, like, if you have kids, and you go through McDonald's, and you get... Uh, and, and you order them French fries and that, um, as a parent, you, have, you are entitled... To something, right? It's called the fry tax, right? And um, it doesn't matter, you know, and, and your kids, while they may complain and say, wait a minute, that's my fry. You're like, no. I mean, I allow it to be your fry, but um, it wouldn't be your fry if it weren't for me, right? So we have the fry tax. Um, these are already soggy. Um, that window is pretty pretty short window, but um, in our household, it wasn't really about fries. It was about fruit snacks when the kids were younger, and that, like we had the, uh, especially Natalie had the fruit snack tax. So, where she would go ahead and yeah, these are really. <laughs> I am. I am. I'm still eating them though. Um, But when we, uh, when we talk about giving, I mean, when you think about our attitudes, 
in the way we approach the stuff that we have. It, it blows my mind because, um, because we aren't really any better than uh, the, the child that's like, whoa, hold up. Those are my fries. You can't take my fries, you know. And that's the way we approach our, our stuff when it comes to God. Because we actually think that our things are our hard work and that I've done this. This stuff is mine. And, and so hold up that somebody would ask me to give back from, from that, which, you know, this is mine. To which I'm sure, you know, God's like, really? Um, you know, and, um, and really we are asked in the way of the specifics of giving when it comes to tithing, you know, like 10%, there's an amount given there. But again, it's so interesting to me because we'll get really hung up about that and people will argue the whole 10% tithe and stuff and that. And again, these are, these are questions that ultimately are the wrong questions to be asked because when we go back and we, we read that scripture that we just did out of Romans, it's, it's, it's not about 10% of our, of our finances. Our worship and our response to God is to lay our lives on the altar you know, that, that, I mean, everything that we have is because of him. Everything that we have. But we've become convinced of something totally different. And, and we've become convinced. See, there's a couple of things here that are really important to be said. When we, uh, when we don't recognize the source of which, you know, our blessing comes from, uh, we're not grateful. We become entitled. Um, but then there's also something else. We also become um, very much, we depend upon our own self. That's where we get to this whole thing of being fearful about what we might lose, right? Because we think of ourselves, we're like, oh man, I worked so hard for that. I worked so hard to get to this place and, and that so I'm going to control where I'm at. I'm concerned, I'm afraid that I, I don't, I don't want to get back over there where I was, but when we understand and when we, when we recognize and we acknowledge that it's God, that God has given us the, the gifts that we have, the time that we have, the possessions that we have, that he has been our provider in all things, that he's been the one that's faithful, that that faithfulness is the reason why that is, he is our sustainer. That's the reason why we exist. And we don't need to fear then, you know, we don't need to put the trust. It doesn't mean that we can be lazy and don't do anything. But ultimately, in the end, our work is participating alongside of him. But ultimately, it's God who is the one who has promised to sustain us and provide what we need on a daily basis. So, you know, how do we overcome this powerful force of money? We do that through generosity, all right? A lot of these things that we're talking about uh, in the series are countermeasures to selfishness. Like next week when we talk about being grateful, gratefulness breaks the back of complaining, you know? Of a, you know when you get into that mo- mindset of complaining in that, one of the key things to break that attitude of complaining is being grateful. The thing that breaks greed and, and, and breaks the power and control of money is generosity, is having a heart that gives. 
it's ultimately a heart issue. We're never told, and, and, and rightly so, we're never told that money itself is wrong or evil because money is not. Money is neutral. It's what we do with our money. It's the trust that we put in money that becomes the problem. Because, again, everything we have belongs to him. We, we have been given uh, short-term management of God's kingdom assets. We have been given short-term management of his kingdom assets to invest them in those things that honor his name. So nothing I have is really mine to just do whatever I want to. So... Money opens the door to a lot of things of this world, power, pleasure, fame, fortune. And the Bible says that if we love that kind of system, that's the world system, that dishonors Christ, and the love of the Father is not in us. So again, it's the eagerness to have money that distracts people and pulls them away from God, but money's not the problem. And one of the lessons that Israel learned was just this. Again, they learned and they had to go through this over and over again, like I think oftentimes we do. Uh, Because Israel was really, you know, they would repent and they would worship God and they'd be grateful for what he had done and then they would quickly forget. And we very much mirror that very same thing. We forget about what God did yesterday. It's like, what, but what about today, God? What about today? I know that was yesterday, but what about now? Israel wandered for 40 days in the desert. And during that time, a big part of that lesson was teaching them about the dependency of God. Because they did not have on their own what they needed, the food, the water, and that. And God provided for them manna from heaven. He provided for them water from the rock. He provided for them what they needed on a daily basis to survive. Jesus asks us to pray for our daily bread. Yes, we're to work hard. Yes, we're to do our part. But we need to recognize that, again, even our health, your ability to be able to get up and go to work, again, is a gift that comes from God. And and we're to be grateful for that, that ability to be able to do the work that helps provide livelihood for us. We're to pray and ask God to provide our daily bread. God is watching out and he's taking care of his people. He, He wants us to experience his provision each and every day. So let me ask you a question. Which of these things is the hardest for you to give up? When you think about giving things up, is it your time? Is it your money? Is it your stuff? Or is it your space? Okay? Some people are like, all of them? (laughs) Is there an all of the above? I mean, we all have areas of our lives that are precious to us. And for some, writing a check is like impossible. For others, giving an hour of your, your week during your week is, is like, it's inconceivable. And still for others can't fathom the idea of like taking in a, a family member or a, a person who, who needs a place to stay and giving up space in their home. But the question that we need to wrestle with this morning, and we need to wrestle with this on an ongoing basis, is Is our love for God and for others 
Is our love for God and for others, is it greater than the love that we have for our own happiness, livelihood, and security? Think about that. Is our love for God and for other people, is it bigger than the love that we have for our own happiness, our own livelihood, and our own security? We all have something to give. Time, gifts, resources, the list goes on. We all, can, we all have something to give, and it comes down to what we choose to do with what we have. And what we choose to do with what we have does not reflect our financial ability. It's not about that. Because some people say, well, I, I, you know, I don't have a lot that I can give. We all have something to give. So it doesn't reflect our financial ability. What it reflects is our heart. What it reflects is our relationship and our view of God, who he is and what he's done for us. So I ask you, will you give, will, will you give what God wants you to give today? When a farmer plants seeds, he has a purpose. He wants to see it grow. He wants to reap some sort of fruit from his labor. The planter may not be the one who waters, and the planter might not be the one who reaps. But in the end, the system works because someone sowed the seed in the beginning. All of that is necessary. And we know from Scripture it says if we sow little, we will reap little. If we sow a lot, we'll reap a lot. Now, let me, let me kind of walk through an example of what that looks like. Let's say you sow seed to either, you say, you know what? I feel like God is calling me to sacrifice some vacation time and money and go on this missions trip. All right, we're going to go and do this thing or try to be a blessing to these people. All right, or, or maybe he said, I, you know, maybe you say, I can't go but I'm going to sow seed and give money so that somebody else can. Those efforts, they plant seeds. But, but maybe, let's say, during that missions trip, a local pastor leads somebody to the Lord as a result of that, that time together. All right? That's great. That is the system at work. We've done what we've been called and commanded to do. We've planted seeds. We, we can't always know what the, uh, the results of those seeds are going to be. And we are called to humbly pray and pray for wisdom about how we plant our seeds, but then also to trust that God is the one who ultimately will determine the outcome. Because of our faith in him, we're fine with whatever happens. We are called to plant seeds. There is a harvest that is coming. It's called the day of the Lord, the moment that, that Christ sounds the trumpet and receives those who, are called upon, who have called upon his name. And that means that right now is the time that we are commanded to sow seed. And the sooner that seed is planted, the quicker the potential for growth. So my challenge to you today is just simply to ask, where is your heart? Does your heart take joy in the opportunity to honor God through giving? 
And I would challenge you to ask God. Ask God to show you where you can be more generous in your life. Ask him to prepare you to give of your best. I challenge you to trust God's promptings just even in this next week, whether it's in your time or your attention, your resources, your talents, that you would step out in generosity and watch what God does. You know, the subject of finances is, is never a fun one to, to talk about. And, uh, you know, it, it hasn't been that long ago that, very, you know, that the church, for a large part, was kind of given a black eye on all of that. So people's, uh, a lot of churches, their stance was, well, I don't want to be controversial or I don't want to stir things up and make people mad or have them leave or whatever. So we won't talk about finances because people are all upset about it. And there's been some abuse of that. And so instead of teaching the right thing, you know, we just won't teach anything. And we'll just put something in the back. And if you want to give, great. And if you don't, you don't have to. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, I cannot do that. As your pastor, I cannot do that. And that's not because uh, Canvas Church is all focused about money. No, what I told all of you very early on was that the way in which we would fulfill the the call that God has for us, which is to reach out and to be a blessing in our community in that, that it starts with our hearts and our preparation. That we can't talk about having a healthy church unless we ourselves are healthy. So healthy individuals create around them healthy families. And healthy families then create a healthy church. And a healthy church then will fan out into their community, and we'll start to see change in the name of Christ in a healthy way. So for me to not address something that is like the number one issue when it comes to stress and the breakups of marriage and and families and all this, uh, so much health issues when it comes to anxiety and that, finances are, are like right at the core of all of that. So if I were to just ignore that, then I would truly not be fulfilling the call on my life as a pastor to, to love you enough to tell you the truth of what God wants for you and the best that he wants for your life. He wants something better for you. And so I, I challenged everyone in here, in, especially in this year, to say, okay, uh, you know, if, it, I'm, I'm, if I'm not satisfied with the results of my finances, doing the things I've done in my life up to this point, then I'm not going to keep doing the same thing, expecting something different to happen. You know, oftentimes we, we will only trust in what we know, but what we know a lot of times doesn't get us to where we want to be. So now I am challenging you to trust in what you do not, do not know, what maybe you haven't seen at work in your life. Trust in God. Trust that God has a purpose and a plan and that when you will fully surrender, not just your finances, but your life. Again, it's your life. When we will put ourselves on the altar in, in worship to God, that we will be blown away to see what he does. Because seed time is now. The harvest is coming, but we will not have a harvest unless we sow. How much fruit will your investment of time, talents, and resources produce? 
Or will you be left in the end holding a handful of seeds? I don't want that to be me. I don't want it to be about I held this back when I could have given and watched that multiplied. Watched that multiplied because that's the beautiful thing about giving to God as well is the fact that we can do so much with our finances, but when we trust it into the hands of God, he multiplies it exponentially and it does things that we could have never done on our own. So ultimately, we not only make sacrifices in our generosity, but the goal is that we in the end become living sacrifices to God. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you that, God, that you have given supremely to us. And, Lord, I I pray that you would help us, help us, God, in an issue that really comes back down to our hearts. How much do we love and trust you? How much do we recognize that, God, the life that we have, the things that we have, the health that we have, that all of this is because of you? Lord, you desire for us to be healthy so that we can then in turn sow seed into our community, into this world, and see your kingdom furthered. Lord, help us. Help us not to be bound by fear and by greed and the things, the power of, of, of this thing that, God, you, it has no shortage in your kingdom. Lord, let us trust you with our finances, let us trust you with our time, our resources, our talents. Let us trust you with our lives, God. And then watch what you will do. Help us, God, to take steps closer, to become living sacrifices that, God, we, we will see more of you in our lives by living out lives of generosity in all that we do. We love you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.